kind of go from there. Randy, um, Seth has your giving statements. So if you want to see him tonight, he's got those for you. If you want to go ahead and get those, those of you who want to hurry up and get that income tax stuff in. Um, yeah, by October, then he's got those for you. All right, turn to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, and we're, we're going to go through um, just some of my notes here and, and just share some thoughts with you. Um, we talked last week about the marriage supper. Um, tonight's subject is the second coming of Christ, which we've covered and seen in, in different instances along the way. Um, it's almost like I think it. I think it's um, uh, one guy that I read years ago, and I, I'm just reminded of that this morning. He said Revelation is kind of like a a telescope, and you get a good you get a good view uh, in the beginning, and then as you open that telescope, you get a little bit better view, and then as you open it all the way, you get a really good view of it. And I think that's kind of. What happens as you go through there are mentions about the second coming all the way through. As a matter of fact, one is found in chapter 1 and verse 7 where it says, Behold, he comes with clouds and every eye will see him. So um, it starts right at, right at the very beginning talking about the second coming of Christ. Uh, so um, something, something that kind of, and I, I'm probably going to touch on a little bit Sunday morning too. Um, but over in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, uh, you have a scene in heaven. And, and in that scene in heaven, there is this scroll that's presented. And there is uh, quite a bit of concern and some weeping in heaven because nobody's worthy to open that, open that scroll. And then uh, Jesus steps forward and takes that. Um, and, and there are a lot of people that believe, and, and I'm one of them, that it, it is a title deed. Uh, and it's probably a title deed to the earth. Okay? A title deed to the earth. Not the whole universe, but just the earth. Uh, now you say, well, so, so why is that so important? Well, what, why that is so important is that in the beginning, that, that responsibility was given to our first father, Adam. Uh, and Adam forfeited that when he sinned. And uh, the, the, what part of the uh, intention of the book of Revelation is to show us that Jesus Christ is going to return someday, and he's going to retake that. He's going to take that back. Uh, you say, well, you know, give me some proof of that. Well, there's a passage over in the book of Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 that says that Satan is the god of this world. Okay, so... We're not going to go through all of that. We could we could take off on a, a tangent tonight, a big, long exposition of what all that means. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take what's rightfully his, and he's going to set it all in order. We also saw, uh, as we got a little bit later into the book of Revelation, one white horse already, chapter 6, which was, you remember, the Antichrist. Um, he, he was given a crown. Okay, that's that's an indication that he's not Jesus. Uh, he has a bow, but he has no arrows, which is a, an indication that he's not going to uh, come to power uh, through military action, but through negotiation, through diplomacy, through all those things that we've seen as, um, as we begin to go through. His intention, uh, 
the intention of the Antichrist, who is powered by Satan. So basically, the intention of Satan is one last-ditch effort to steal uh, from God what God never gave him to begin with, which is what he wanted from the beginning. Uh, not going to get that. And so the um, Bible says that the devil knows that his time is short, okay? And as we think about this, what you know, this right that Jesus has, first of all, uh, Jesus has the right to be ruler and king of kings and lord of lords because he um, created everything. It's his. He made everything, okay? So you say, well, well, you know, there, there will be some people that say, well, what gives him the right to do it? He made it. It's his. The second thing is he redeemed it. It's one thing to own something that you make. It's quite a different thing to have to redeem it. Redemption is a word that means to buy back. Um, so, you know, that's a good long study you can go into if you want to. Uh, it, it's it's um, redemption. I always use the illustration of the um, SNH green stamps. Some of y'all know what those are. Some of you don't. Uh, if you don't know what it is, you're quite a bit younger than I am. But uh, we used to get those things at the grocery store. There's a little book that you put them in. You get stamps, and then you you collected those things, and you kept them. And then they had a redemption store where you would take those stamps, and you would redeem them. You would turn them in, and you would get something from the store. So kind of kind of kind of the idea of redemption. And then um, uh, Christ is conqueror in the book of Revelation. And so he is coming back to take uh, what is his. Chapter 6 through 18, if you just want to make a little note, notation. Chapter 6 through 18 prepares the world for the coming of Christ. You look at it and you go, well, good grief. Um, do we have to go through all of that to get the world ready for the coming of Christ? Absolutely. We absolutely do. We have to see that. Uh, God, God, is, God is working out his plan it's his plan, so you know what? We accept it, we embrace it, and we go with it. Um, he, came, he came as redeemer. Uh, he will come next time as ruler. He came uh, and was placed on a cross. He will come back wearing a crown. Now, let's look at it. Verse 11. I saw heaven opened. There it is again. Um, as a matter of fact, it's the same word, same phrase that's used when Christ returns for his church. Okay. I, I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. He who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many uh, diadems. Okay. Crowns. Diadems. Diadems were the... Um, uh, crowns of royalty and, and monarchy, okay? There are basically two words in the Bible used in the Greek for crowns. One is diadem. The other one is the word stephanos. The stephanos is a victor's crown. The stephanos is the the laurel wreath that was given to an Olympic athlete when he won an event in the Olympics in that day. This is not, this is not uh, a stephanos. This is a diadem. And look at what he says. He is, he has many of them. On his head were many diadems. He has a name written, and I think this is interesting, that no one knows but he himself. And I'm going to make a statement about that in a minute. And I, I don't know whether it's true or not, but, but I, it's pretty significant. 
Um, his, his clothes in a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. We saw that last week. So who are the armies of heaven? The armies of heaven are the saints. This is a, this is a direct um, um, reference to what we just saw last week when those uh, who were clothed in the righteousness of Christ were clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Uh, they followed him on white horses. So if you've never ridden a horse in your life, you'll get to ride one someday. Out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter or with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress and the fury or the fierceness and the wrath of God Almighty. Winepress is in the Bible uh, carry with it a... Um, uh, a notation about judgment, okay? So so he treads the winepress of the fear and the wrath of God, judgment. He comes in, he, there's some judgment attached to this. On his robe and on his thigh, he has another name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midst of the heaven. Uh, the word birds there are the carrion birds. They're the 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 meat eaters, the flesh eaters, the... Uh, the rotten stuff that you see on the side of the road. It's kind of interesting as we were um, coming to church, and I was trying to think through a lot of this. There was just one of those big buzzards right on the side of the road picking picking some bones clean. You know, that's, that's, that's the kind of birds he's talking about. And he's going to call them from all over the world. Um, he, he's standing in the sun. He cries with a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midst of heaven. Uh, Come and gather for the supper of the great God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of strong men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both both free and slave, both small and great. Then I saw the beast uh, and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to wage war against him. This is this is Armageddon again. Okay, he's mentioning Armageddon. This is this is this this is the um, the, the battle of Armageddon. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. With their armies gathered to wage war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. The remnant were slain with the sword which proceeded out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves with their flesh." Uh, let me just, uh, I'm just going to run through an outline and, and just make some comments. If, if it's okay, if we can go through. We don't have a whole lot of time tonight. But uh, verses 11 through 14 talk about the coming king. One of the first things he talks about is his appearance. Uh, his appearance. Uh, his appearance um, is a good indication of his nature. If you'll notice here, he says, and I saw... Heaven opened, there was this white horse. He who sat on him is called faithful and true. and righteousness, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are as a flame of fire and his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no man knows. So, so it speaks of, of his nature. We see him in his full glory here, okay? Uh, the Bible says that, that every eye will see him and there will be those who will mourn over him, especially those who pierced him. And so there will be, there will be this... This, this full glory, this full demonstration 
this full vision uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to all men. Uh, the white horse. Let me just make a, a, a mention of that. In, in the days that this was written, the ancient Roman generals often rode white horses in triumphal processions. Um, there, if, if you read about the, the Roman soldiers coming home, it's quite an elaborate thing. I mean, it was just, they just threw a parade. And when the conquering general would come home, he would come many times on a chariot um, drawn by white horses or riding on a white horse himself. Uh, and then everything would come behind him. His soldiers would come behind him. All the slaves that they had captured would come behind him. Um, everything that they brought from, from this distant country, he would bring into the uh, city of Rome, and they would have a great triumphal entry for him. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that there came a time, and I think there's a whole, there's a mentality in the world today, and there was even in the time in which Jesus lived, that he was a victim. We, we don't see a victim here. We know that Jesus died on the cross. There's a whole lot of people that believe, even in Christian circles, that Jesus didn't come down off the cross, that he had a spiritual resurrection. Uh, that's false teaching. That's not Bible. And so uh, it's just not true. Uh, verse 12, his eyes are as a flaming fire. That speaks of his omniscience. Um, his right to judge sinners. Uh, he is called faithful and true. Uh, he speaks the truth. He is faithful. And I believe if I... I thought about this statement right here, and maybe maybe the very reason that that John uses this or the angel uses this to John to write down is this 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 title, uh, faithful and true, because Jesus is now keeping his promise of returning. Okay, so I, I think that has a whole lot to do with it. It says that he fights in righteousness. Uh, most of, and those of you who have studied it, most of the wars that have been fought, and wars that we're in right now are not righteous wars. They are wars of domination. They are wars to protect oil or get oil. It's all about the riches. It's all about the booty. There's nothing righteous about some of them. But this will be a righteous war. God is going to vindicate himself. He fights in righteousness. Then it speaks about his name. Now, I think this is interesting. He has a name, and it's a, it's a mysterious name. Um, and we go, well, 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 good grief, you know, why is that? Here's a speculation. What, is, what do we know him by today? Jesus, right? And you go, well, why don't you just have Jesus on there? Here's what one guy said. He has this name written. Think about everything that's going on. Think about what's happening. Think about what God has done. Think about all the chaos, everything else. And here's what one man said. And I, I, you know what? I kind of lean in that direction. It is a name that the unbelievers cannot know, even if they desire to know him. Folks, I'm going to tell you. When, 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 when God says, this is it, and we see all of this, we know, obviously, that there, 
won't be a desire. But I think there's an indication that even if there is, there'll be a time when people won't be able to be saved. Now we can go through. We can go through, and we can talk about uh, all the writers and everybody that believes that there will be some that can be saved during the tribulation. There will be some that will be saved. Are those who have heard before able to be saved? Don't know. There's some indications. Yes. There's some indications. No. But the fact of the matter is, is that um, this is this is it. Okay. This is it. So he has a mysterious name. Look at the name of his ministry. Verse thirteen. He's called the Word of God. The Word of God. The living Word of God. Now, that that goes back to, or carries us back to, um, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, what John is saying to us there is, Jesus was in the beginning. Okay, in the beginning. When did, when did Jesus... A lot of people will say, well, when, you know, what, what, when, when did the origination of Jesus, when, would, when did Jesus come, whatever. The fact of the matter is, is he didn't because he was always there. He always existed. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And then he says the Word was God. Okay? So what we have here is that, that his name, he is called the Word of God. Now, it's interesting um, uh, you, you run across some things sometime that just become really interesting to you, especially if you're reading. And, and here's, here, here's, a, here's an explanation of why a lot of times people would write the Word of God. God, the name Yahweh, was so sacred to the Jewish scribes that many times they didn't want to write His name. Okay? So, uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The word was God. What they would do is they would substitute the name Yahweh with the word of God. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that all of a sudden when you're reading something, you see the word of God. It may be transcribed thousands of years ago from a scribe that didn't really want to write the name God because it was so sacred. And so they would write in the word of God in place of the word Yahweh. So when you see that, it makes a lot of sense when you look at it and you go, what John is saying, basically, Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the creator God. Jesus is the redeeming God. Jesus is the, the, the one, the only, the true God. And then he says in verse 14, which is the best news that we can have, is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So his name is, he is known as the word of God. He comes to fulfill the word of God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is a name of majesty. The thigh symbolizes strength. And I never thought about this before, but just I'll, I'll throw this out to you too. We're just we're throwing tidbits out tonight. You remember when Jacob wrestled uh, with the angel of the Lord? Where did the angel of the Lord touch him? On the thigh. He broke his strength. And I thought, yeah, that's kind of cool. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. You go, well, he, you know, he touches him on the thigh because the thigh is a picture of uh, strength, uh, a, symbol, a symbol of strength or stability or power. His name is also written on his vesture. That's a, a, his garment. It's a symbol of his position. So, so we see who he is. Look at his apparel. His garments are stained. You say, well, okay, so... So what does that mean? We read that and we go, well, yeah, okay, so 
at the Battle of Armageddon, he's going to tread the winepress. The fact of the matter is, is that when we see this, it appears that the Battle of Armageddon hasn't happened yet. There are basically three thoughts into what all that means. One of them has to do with he receives that at the Battle of Armageddon. There are others that believe that it is the blood that he shed at Calvary for us. And, and another one that I believe that probably fits it more correctly is that that is the blood of his enemies that he has fought throughout all generations. So I, it makes sense to me that that, that would probably be it. Uh, but, but he has, uh, his garments are stained uh, with the blood of his enemies. Now, notice his army. His army here is clothed in fine linen, white and clean. If we were to go back over to uh, the first part of chapter 19, you would see that when um, God's saints are clothed with uh, fine linen, white and clean, there's an indication there that, that, that just connects these two. God's army is um, the church. Christ's army is the church, us, we're the, believer, the believers. Now, where do the uh, martyrs come in? Where do the Old Testament saints come in? Not sure, uh, but, but we know for sure that we will be. There will be angels also in that in that army that will come there's something kind of interesting here because he begins speaking of the lord's weapons uh he has none well he does he does have one okay out of his mouth proceeds a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations um let me just, let me throw this out to you because this is, I mean, this is coming from Sunday, but uh, we'll, we'll get into the, the armor of God. Um, every part of the believer's armor is held together by the belt of truth, by the word of truth. The, the, listen, the word of God is extremely, extremely important to the believer. It holds, we're able to wear the armor of God because of the truth of the word of God. And we'll look at some of that Sunday morning. But, but you know, here you have the living word speaking what we have in the written word. We basically have the living word, Jesus, the written word, our Bible. And they are inseparable. Now, I know I, I sat in a and listened to a liberal teacher once try to explain how this is fallible because he drew this circle and he said, well, this is the living word. And then he drew this written word on the outside of that as if they didn't even connect to one another. And, you know, you sit there and you gnaw your tongue and gnash your teeth when that kind of stuff's going on. But, no, listen, you, you, th th these are inseparable. He defeats them with a word of his mouth. Uh, and then he commands the fowls to come and, and to feast. He commands the flesh to be consumed. In life... And in this scripture, these men are separated by rank. To these birds, they're all the same. Okay? It, it don't matter if it's king flesh or slave flesh, whatever it is, come and, and have a feast. 
It's interesting to me that the word flesh is mentioned and found here five different times. Five times. Um, and, and I just I, I, I kind of took a detour this morning. The we have three great enemies. We have the devil. We have the world. And we have the flesh. Now, the devil and the world's avenue that they use, that they approach, that they attack to get us to sin and to tempt us is the flesh. We are, we're saved. We have a new spirit. We have a new, we're a new man, a new woman. But we have the old residues of the old man, the flesh. And we are constantly fighting with that flesh. So he mentions it here five times, I think, because he wants to remind us that it is our flesh many times that gets us in so much trouble. People's flesh, people giving into the flesh of what they, what, what, what they have been allowed to do here. Now let's move on down. Jesus himself draws the armies to Armageddon. I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cries out with a loud voice to all the birds flying in the midst of heaven. Come and gather for the supper of the great God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of commanders, the flesh of strong men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And so he calls these armies together. Now, there's many times that these armies don't realize that um, they're not in control of their own destiny. There's many, many times that we think, well, we can do our own thing. We can be whatever we want to be. I'm my own man. The fact of the matter is, is that your, your destiny is not in your hands. Your destiny is in the hands of God himself. And God is working and God is moving. It is God that's going to bring them to Armageddon. Now, however he does that, it doesn't really say. But we do know that they're going to be gathered together. Now, here's an interesting thought. Um, one guy that I was reading, basically his, his idea was that when the whole world sees the coming of Jesus Christ with his angels, with his army, then they will gather to go to war with him. Maybe, may not be, but you know, there's, there's John Phillips, uh, says, um, I can't prove that that's true, but you can't prove that it's not. So, you know. But, but, but some way, somehow, these, these armies of Satan, these armies of Antichrist are going to come and they are going to uh, bring themselves to war against Jesus Christ. Now, verse 20 and 21, he destroys these armies. But he does something first. To the beast... But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. Can you imagine these armies that have followed these guys? And all of a sudden, in their sight, Jesus Christ himself takes them up and throws them into hell. I, I, I don't imagine 
that there were very many knees that weren't knocking together after that point. Here's our power. Here's our leader. Here's our savior. Here's the guy that's promised he's going to bring us into this paradise and, and, and save us from this, this awful group of folks who follow Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Christ comes down, man, and just, they're gone. And now these armies are standing around and they're watching that. Um, why? Because they deceived the multitudes. Verse 21. The assembled armies of the world are defeated in a single moment by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's going to be, the way that it looks here, is that it's going to be a massacre because uh, when you think about it, it it's... We've already been told, and I can't, I'll have to go back and, and, and I can check a reference really quick. But you remember that when it talked about this battle once before, it talked about the blood being so high that it was up to the, the bridles of the horses. So it's not going to be a word that is spoken and men are just going to drop dead. Okay? Because the bird's going to come. Now, it may be, very well be because they're eating the flesh. It may very well be because of, of what's going on there. But the fact of the matter is is that it's going to be a bloody scene, whatever that is. And Jesus is going to do that with the word of his mouth. He's going to speak it, and it's going to happen. You say, well, I don't know if he can do that or not. Well, can he do this in the beginning? God said, let there be light, and there was light. Can he do that? Then he can certainly say to a group of men, drop dead, you know. By the word of his mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, the power, the power of the word of God is, is powerful. Um, it is, it is your weapon, your offensive weapon. It is what you stand and guard the ranks with in your battle um, with this world and with the devil and with the enemies of this world. It's extremely important. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, so he assembles the armies of the world. He defeats them in a single moment by the power of the Word. They will die at his Word, and their blood will flow to the horse's bridles. Okay, there it is, Revelation 14, 20. Now, what happens to them at that point? Now, let's just have a little theology lesson here for a minute. And... Um, Give you give you two, okay? Uh, give give you two possibilities here. I don't know. We know that the false prophet and that the uh, the antichrist are thrown into hell immediately, okay? And I kind of kind of give the um, give a little bit of it away, but let's just have a lesson here just for a minute. The Jews believed. That in the afterlife, there were basically two compartments that, that, that the dead would go, their souls would go to. Uh, one of them was called paradise, and it's also a reference to Abraham's bosom. You remember, you remember the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man died, and Lazarus died, and he went into the bosom of Abraham. They believed that there was this, there was this holding place for for these souls who were not dead souls, their bodies were, but their souls were still living. One of them was a holding place for the righteous, which was called paradise. The other 
was for the doom that was called Hades. Okay, Hades. Um, I think there's an indication over in Peter's epistles. Just, uh, just I, I think this is what happened. I, I'm pretty sure it's what happened. Nobody. Now, we, look, we know Enoch. We know Elijah. Some of those went to heaven. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible calls Jesus the first fruits. Okay. So there is, I believe, this great company that are in paradise, we, which we might consider heaven, and people do. Um, who, when Jesus, part of the work that he did in his three days he was in the tomb, went, and Peter said, preached to those who were in prison. It was a message of doom. But there were also those who believed, theologians who believed, that at that time, Jesus took those people in paradise and led them into heaven, carried them into heaven with him. Um, read Psalm 24. Um, th- there's, you know, a lot of people use that as a prophetic teaching that uh, Christ went into heaven to present his blood as a sacrifice for our sins, for atonement for our sins. And then he goes into the abode of the dead. He preaches doom to those who were there. He releases those, or in a sense, you say release, he takes them with him. He takes them from paradise and carries them into heaven. So where, where do our loved ones go now when they leave here? They go to heaven, okay, because Christ has gone to heaven. Now, these people who are going to die, where will they go? Will they go into hell? Or will they go into Hades? And it could be either, because I don't know, because it doesn't say. But I think you could speculate that they go to the abode of the dead because you don't have the great white throne judgment until the next chapter. So they are raised, they are resurrected, they are brought back together with their bodies, and then they are judged at the great white throne judgment. And then, at that point, they're thrown into hell, okay? So whatever it is, they are doomed. Uh, Jesus takes care of them. He... um, he annihilates them. And the fact of the matter is, is this whole scene is going to be literally played out someday. Because the world has rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. And because they rejected him as their Savior, they're going to have to face him as their judge. Um, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Um, We are told in the book of Acts, the first chapter, that the Jesus who ascended into heaven, when the apostles were standing there that day, and the Bible says a cloud came, it engulfed him, it carried him out of their sight. And then the angel spoke to them and said, this same Jesus will come again. It will be a bodily return. It won't be some spiritual uh, return. It won't be some spiritual um, uh, gathering together. It will be literal. There is a literal white horse. There is a literal army. There is a literal Jesus Christ, and he is literally coming to this earth. He's going to judge those who have rejected him, 
And then there are those, by the way, who feel like until this time happens that the Old Testament saints and the, um, um, the, the martyred um, Revelation saints will be resurrected at that time. So I, who knows? You know, who knows? Now, you know what? I gave you something to go read and, and study, okay? Just throw you some possibilities out there. Uh, but look, Jesus wins, Okay? That's enough. Jesus wins. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for this time you've given us as we just kind of, we've run through this so fast, just trying to get so much in and, and feel like we got nothing in. But Father, there's great encouragement. There's great joy in knowing that, that you do win in the end. You've already won. Uh, you, you won that victory at Calvary. And, and God authenticated that when he raised you from the dead. And, and Lord, we just, we have faith in that tonight. We base our faith on that. We base our salvation on that. We don't believe that you're a liar. We believe what your word says. Therefore, Lord, we rejoice in the fact that we are in that number who are going to live forever and forever and forever in heaven with you. But, Father, it ought to sadden us. It ought to burden our hearts. And I pray that it does. That if you were to come this year, that we know people that would not be in that number. Help us to be about your business of building the kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.